We are we are live, and I'm sure we got uh, <laughs> not 25 minutes late. Holy cow! All right, so we've got uh, we've got a great class lined up. Uh, we're going to actually do three different books of the Bible tonight. I don't know if you had a chance to actually download our something's playing. Where's playing? Oh. Um, don't know if you had a chance to download the uh, lesson 46, but uh, we're going to finish up Colossians chapter four. I'm going to jump into Philemon, Philemon, almost like Filet, Mignon, Mignon, Philemon, we have a Philemon, yeah, that's right, come on, come on, come on, come on, this is making statements, that's it, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then we're actually going to the first chapter of Ephesians, so, uh, and we're going to do all of that within the next 47 minutes, astonishing but true, yes or go? This wasn't updated this morning, that's correct, it was not this morning. Uh, I had actually written much of the uh, short deal that we were going to do I was reading tonight. chapter, I was like, there's really going to be anything to talk about tonight, uh, Yeah, I but. forgot to upload it. And then when I finally uploaded it, it was a little after lunch, and I thought, oh, I should put something on Mentor, and I thought... I'm going to get an email from that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I didn't put it on it. It's, just, it's so is. quick. We're gonna, just going to watch this. Colossians, Colossians, are you reading? Are you going to read for me? Uh, Colossians chapter 4. This is going to be great. So, I don't know if you've looked, but uh, we are um, going to jump into Philippians when we're done with Ephesians. Ephesians take a little bit. And then Philippians, 1 Timothy, Titus will be pretty quick. Then 1 Peter, that, that should have some, uh, some stuff. Um, and then we jump into Hebrews. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to Hebrews. I'm actually thinking of giving you a... Are you okay? Are you going to make it? Okay. Um, I'm actually thinking about giving us a week off just to prep for Hebrews so that you can read, you know, that, that whole first portion of it before we get into it. Um, but I'm excited because it, uh, it, should, it should be good. It should be really good. Once we're done with Hebrews, we're virtually done with the study because we'll throw, flow through Revelation very, very quickly. There's not a lot of really? holocaust there. Who, who does that? Nobody ever just flows through Revelation. Yeah, well, you and I talked about doing some type of an end-time study right. after the study right. and after a break. Um, so if we're going to do that, Holocaust. we won't waste a lot of time in Revelation. We'll just do the Holocaust, which okay. would first, uh, what, two, two three chapters? Where he's writing to the churches or, or the assemblies. assemblies. That's right. And then right. we'll have some kind of a structured study later on on Revelation? Yeah, we're going to do an end-time study that will bring you through Ezekiel 37, 38, 39, uh, Zechariah. Basically the whole book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, Daniel. A little bit of Daniel, probably back so in chapters 9, 10, time. 11, 12. Yeah. Um, probably after Pesach, but before Rosh Hashanah. You know, more of a summer kind of thing. Um, Maybe. I, I think we can get it by Yeah, then. we got to get it. Is, well, if we, the whole time we've talked about Hebrews we being a break big between that to prepare for that, I think it would be, it's already structured this way, but it would be kind of fun to go through the Midot. The, the character traits yeah. of Musar. Yeah. I mean, they're literally the stuff that we're reading about. It's so that's exactly like right. Truthfulness, humility, that, and there's its applicability throughout the life of a man. Yeah. You know? yeah. But we did do the midot already. Sort of. We went through the, the um, year to history. Back, right? Oh, that's like that's, that's different. It's very. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, that's okay, like after okay. you're done with the midot and do them perfectly. Now <laughs> here's the very first start. Okay. Yeah, the very right. first step. Right. One that, rung ladder. That was a little shocking while we were reading that. Yeah, it's like 
the so end, the the end was basically like, you're Mashiach. You've done all this up until this point, you're Mashiach. <laughs> let's, uh, yeah. <laughs> let, let's, uh, let's, let's yeah. do uh, Colossians 4 and jump through that quickly, shall we? Yes. So, uh, uh, some people don't want to read. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, what can you do? What can you do? I can take it. I've got it right here. Well, if if he's anywhere nearby, up oh, there he comes back. So I, I only want you to read eighteen verses for me. Can you do that, or are you busy? What? Are you busy? Can you do that? Colossians four, verse eighteen. All right. But you have to do it loud enough so that they can hear you. Do you want, just want me to read it straight right now? Yeah, just start. I'll stop you if I need to stop you. But try and do it in English, okay? Yeah. Now, that's good. Now, verse one. That's <laughs> covered in the last of Yeah, I've got some deep stuff to say already. There you go. So, uh, so yeah, you can jump right in there in verse two. Would you? Yes, yes. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in there with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well. That our people open to us a drawer, the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Mashiach, for which I have also entered. That I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward <clears throat> outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. All right, so let me ask you, who's, who's the outsider? I can't hear you. Neither can the people that are listening from afar. What? <clears throat> Outside the assemblies? Outside the assemblies. Okay. Physically or spiritually, emotionally? Spiritually. Okay. So these are not people that live far away, but people that are not in the assembly. Okay. We got another word for these people? Hmm, that's an interesting comment. That'll play well at breakfast in the morning. Talk to your dad about that. Gentiles. Now, I, I could be mistaken. I, it happens. 1971. It happens. Are you... <laughs> that's right. There's only one, one so, person in this room. I heard about it, though. <laughs> so, aren't, aren't you a Gentile? Really? I'm just going to be really? great news <laughs> at breakfast, let me yes. tell you. Oh, let me so he's not. Wow. Okay. So is your brother a Gentile? <laughs> Watch out if he says which one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Joshua, how do you how do you define a Gentile. A Gentile is someone who is not part of the Jewish people. We are part, well, in the sense, we are part of the Jewish people, but we are not Jewish by um, birth, birth, heritage, birth. Okay, so, okay, so, okay, I, I think anyway. I see where you're coming from. So, is there a difference between being Jewish and practicing Judaism? Yes. 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 Definitely. So, do you practice Judaism? Are you Jewish? 
So I think everybody in the room and everybody listening online and probably almost everybody on the planet would think if you're not Jewish, by definition, you're a Gentile. So let me ask you just one more time. This is the money round. <laughs> what would you call the people that are outsiders? Non-believers. Non-believers. Changes the answer. I like it. I like it. Non-believers. But I think that Josiah is hitting on a very good point because Gentile and Jew is kind of the idea of the outsider. When Paul throws this term in here, the reason why I'm thinking non-believers, and the reason I probably... Well, rather than Gentile. Well, ra- no, 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 no. No, no, just step aside. I'm thinking non-believers rather than people who are physically outside the church or the unreached or whatever term you want to use. Okay. Um, uh, is non-believer concept, to me, stands out a little bit because of the idea of Jews and Gentiles. So Judaism has this idea that we're in a circle, very tight circle. If you're not in the circle, you're an outsider. Right. That's everybody else. And because you're not in the circle... So you could say non-Jew. Non-Jew, yeah, fine, non-Jews. But the non-Jews then are treated very carefully. The relationship is different. Those in the circle, those out of the circle. You know? So the idea when he says walk in wisdom toward outsiders, <clears throat> making the best use of time... The fact that he uses the term outsiders rather than... Um, trying, to, ch- trying to name them like we're doing. Well, right. He uses the term outsiders because that's the mentality I think he's almost presenting to them. Like, well, you're treating them like they're not part of the group. Not that you don't want them to become part of the group. Or, or as you pointed out several times already, how is he defining the group as opposed to how the Jews define the group? True. But he's using a, a Jewish concept. Oh, yeah, I get it. But he's expanding the definitions. Just a little well, you, bit. I think he's changed the definition. Yeah. Right? So, who's outside in his mind? It's non-believers. Absolutely. I non-believers think. in what? Oh, in Yeshua. Yeah, let's make sure we got the key there, right? Those are people that don't believe in Messiah, which is different than what the Jews would think. Absolutely. The Jews would say, you're outside if you're not a Jew. If you're not Jewish, then you're outside. But he's made it clear that's not the inside-outside line. And that's what we've seen throughout this deal, right? But a other, contrast to me... Oh, sorry. Is it? I was just going to ask if there are any other translations that they use any other words. I spoke the World English Bible uses that as well, but I was wondering if there were any other translations. I read it in the original them. Greek. This is an odd word. And it's outsiders. Yeah? Yeah. Well, it's it's mostly, not used very often. It looks like it's mostly used... The word is mostly is translated without. Hmm. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, the yeah. whole exo thing. But the, the thing is... It's actually a suffix. The reason why yeah. I... Oh, prefix. Right? Yeah, prefix. Um, like exoskeleton. Right. Uh, a skeleton on the outside. Yeah. Um, the reason why I bring it up, though, and I highlight it, is because there are some, maybe a significant block nowadays, in the church that don't see non-believers as outsiders. They're seeker-friendly. They want to, you know, the, the non-Christians come in, they get free donuts in the best parking places, and the entire church service is aimed around how do we get them to stay and keep coming and possibly hear that altar call just enough they finally break down emotionally, come forward, oh, and give their life I to Christ. I think you're being extraordinarily gracious. <laughs> I, I think they want them to be giving units. Well, and I don't know that there's there are some a real concern about whether or I not I think there are some who are treating churches as a business like that, too. But my point, though, is to say that, like, 
even if you were to say, hypothetically, that the evangelism mission is positive enough that it's worth that extra effort, that's what it should be called. It should be called evangelism, not church. The mistake that I think that these churches are making is that they're ditching teaching disciples in an effort to get new converts. And what Paul is saying is converts are nice, but only if they're real and serious. So don't worry about working so hard, spending all your time, go after the outsiders, because they're the outsiders. If they want to come inside, they'll be more open. I know a couple of guys that have left churches on this topic. <laughs> yeah. Which I know sounds harsh to some Christian-minded people, but like to me, it's like I just feel like when you read this, this sounds almost like a um, tempered approach to evangelism. Um, and more importantly, more, I, or it's, it's a wise approach to evangelism. It isn't necessarily to say that like that's the only thing we should be doing. It's almost like do it where it makes sense, making the best use of time. Sure. I think that, uh, again, I think you're very gracious to the visible expressions of the church that we have today, but um, even the idea that there, there are those who are inside and those who are outside, I think is a concept that the Roman church no longer believes. I will say that I haven't stepped into a Roman church, <clears throat> maybe ever, but at least not in a very long time. <laughs> well, they're probably going to count you as an insider anyway. <laughs> um, but that whole, well, the Muslim, I mean, he's, he's ser serving the same God, he's just got a different name kind of thing. Mm. This whole evangelical uh, hug that they're <laughs> doing um, is, is anathema, anathema to what I believe. And I think to your point is, is where Paul's coming from as well. There are outsiders, and we need to be wise as we're dealing with them. Careful with what we say and so forth. I cut you off. You didn't even get a chance to finish that one, I think. But uh, um, right. making the best use of your time, or I think uh, another one I read was uh, uh, using your time wisely. Or I think what is it? Yours had best opportunity. Yeah. Redeeming yeah, the time. Redeeming the time. That's what it is. You know, it could also uh, have to do with uh, not being deceived. Mm. You're supposed to conduct yourself with wisdom toward the outsiders, and it's the outsiders who are going to make all the efforts to deceive. That's exactly right. And try to pull us away. And we see that type of work going on right now. Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. Where, you know, the fact that 100% of the terrorist acts we see are, are done by Muslims, is not something that we're allowed to talk about to be politically correct. Well, you know, he was an Afghani, or he was, uh, you know, any other label other than Muslim, because we don't want to talk about their faith or their religion. And the Pope is, is you know, that's truly ecumenical. You know, let's, we're all one big house mm -hmm. of faith. But that's systemic. Like, I think we talk about us in this room we are one-on-one -on -one having experiences where the person you're interacting with is effectively trying to convert you. I've had an Indian try to convert me. I've had yeah. a Muslim try to convert me. I've had atheists try to convert me. I mean, you... And don't stay home during the day or you get the Seventh-day Adventists and the... Yeah. Uh, who are the other guys? The Jehovah's, Jehovah's, Jehovah's Witnesses. Seventh-day Adventists don't have such a problem with anymore. But, you know, uh, the point is that, like, the... Um, the idea that somehow it's just coming from TV and the media is not true. That's the people right. we interact with on a daily basis mm -hmm. right. are maybe planting seeds, you know, even if it's small stuff like 
they're going to talk about their liberal views, but, you know, really be offended if you don't, you know, laugh with their dirty joke or agree with whatever it is they're trying to say. So the, the, to your point, I, uh, Mr. Martin, I think, yeah, we definitely should be very careful in how we deal with them. That's why I'm saying, like, Paul uses the word outsider on purpose. Not to say that we, you know, lock ourselves up like, you know, the, the, the shaker movement way back in the day and say, well, we're not going to talk to anybody who's not in our group, but that your relationship with the, with the outsider needs to be wise. Amen. And as you choose. Um, yeah. Christy and I, we closed on our uh, refinance last night, and the gentleman who was there shared he had three daughters. And Christine's question was to him, by the way, 15, 14, 13, and asked, how do they get along? And he said, well, we just got back from the beach. And the entire time they stayed in the same room, and all we heard from that room was giggling and laughing. Praise God for that. And his response was, it's all in who they hang out with. Hmm. That's all he said. He didn't say anything further from that. And that's got to be true. Who they hang out with is who they will become. Bad company corrupts good morals. 100%. And I think we've all seen that there are people, children, adults, who have a certain lifestyle and you're like, man, that is the epitome of blank. Mm-hmm. And then you see them attach themselves to one person. Mm-hmm. And six months later, you can't recognize them. That's right. And sad, too. That's the whole reason I drive all the way out here. Hanging out with you guys. That's <laughs> it. God bless you. Yeah, that's, that's what an encouragement yeah. you are. You mean they don't have more of us over in Lincoln? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> all right, let's pick it up. As soon as I do, I'll bring me a tape. Seven. As to all my face. Tychicus. Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant, and fellow bondservant in Rod and I will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about his circumstances and he may encourage your hearts. And with the Monsimus, our faithful. What? The Monsimus. our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his regard, greetings, and also Barnabas's cousin, Mark. Wait, hang on a second. That's, that's good. Stand by. I just want to interrupt you one more time. Um, Onesimus is, uh, is the English uh, rendering. Onesimus is actually how it's said in Greek. Onesimus. Um, I just want to bring him to your attention because we're going we're gonna to be picking him up again. There's a couple of names that pop up in the next letter. That's exactly right. This version's a little different than mine. Mine it says, who is one of you? And in Micah's version it says, who is one of the numbered ones? Mm. What do they mean by one of the numbered ones? I would say that it goes back to being a non-outsider. I, I feel like it means something more deep than mm. that. That's well, pretty deep. Uh, again, in... In, uh, in my version, that the word number is italicized. Right, it's not. I, I think it says, in, I would guess anyway, that it says in the original, who's one of you? That's what mine says. Yeah, yeah, that's what one of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I would read as being, he's a, either a, a Colossian, or he's, he's a Gentile, a non-Jew, and the, that's how Paul is using to differentiate in his group, so to speak. Because he does... Well, we'll get to it in a second. Go ahead and continue. Yeah. Okay. If you're happy through verse 10. Aristarchus, one of my favorite guys. Go ahead. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings and also Barnabas' cousin Mark. 
and about whom he received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Yeshua. Yeshua, who is called Justice, these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and who have come to circumcision, and they have proved an encouragement to So let's just pause there. What does that mean? <clears throat> Men of the circumcision. Prior to this point mm -hmm. in the scriptures, in the apostolic scriptures, this has been a negative comment. Those who are among the circumcision? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because the circumcision would be the Jews? Mm -hmm. Not just the Jews. The non-believing Jews. Mm -hmm. I don't know that <clears> I put them in that category either. The non-Yeshua. Well, some might have been. I th yeah. Because I think Acts 15, you've got you've got a pretty good group there. Um, it's a good guess. But how, how would be a negative file, file, it, file it better. File it better. It's, it's the oh, stand. Oh. The other Josh. I think it's... Um, it's a group of... Which ones? Now or before? Now what? Now, his reference to the men of the circumcision, or every reference of the circumcision prior to this? Which one are you speaking of? This one. Actually, which one? Of which one do you speak? This one. Maybe. So, I think this one. Okay. Because I'm thinking that it's referring to men who did not believe, who came to believe through Yeshua and became circumcised. While that would physically describe them, I don't know that that's who he means. I always remember him before as the circumcision party. Yes. It was the ones that yes. wanted to circumcise. Why? Now, they might Why? be circumcised Why? themselves. Why? Why did they want these new believers to be circumcised? To join the faith. Exactly right. But they are in, if we want to use a modern term, they're like the Orthodox Judaism of their day. These are the ones sure. who are religious, but not just religious, but they have they have really bought into the the teachings and the traditions that are being held there, specifically circumcision. So when you see this term previously, it's usually like an opponent to Paul, because he's dealing with the fact that they're telling the Gentiles, well, that's great that you believe in Yeshua, but you got to also get circumcised or else you're not really part of the group. Exactly. Um, this time, I think his use of this is in reference to simply, I think he's sort of tweaking it slightly to refer to religious Jews. These are Jewish men. These are Jewish men. That's, I believe he's being as generic as possible. They're Jews. They're born Jews. They were circumcised on the eighth day by their parents. They had nothing to do with it. They're just Jews. Do you think Paul would include himself in that? Yeah, yeah, I do. That's what I was thinking. Like it was, it was like the, the other guys like me, right? Who were right. all thinking one way, and then we switch. Which yeah. is why earlier he says Onesimus, who's one of you. In other words, mm -hmm. you're not. You and I are different. Not that that's a problem. We're still on one body and all that stuff. But just to clarify, like you make sure you. you know, I don't know. To me, it feels like he's trying to like. I don't. Um, I, don't I don't think he's warm their hearts towards Onesimus. Yeah, I don't. I do too. And we'll see later. Um, but I don't. I don't think he's claiming it, that Onesimus is a Gentile or pointing that out. I think he's literally saying he's from your town. He's from your assembly. He's one of you. I'm sending him back to you, by the way. That kind of thing. Okay. Good. 
These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. When we saw this story in Acts, Paul goes to Rome, gets kept in prison in Rome. He brings all the, the Jewish leaders to like his prison house to come talk. Doesn't go so well. So apparently the only ones who stuck around were these guys. Or were Jews that he met along the way. Could be. Either way, I think what he means by the only ones are that he's referencing the only ones with him there. Not like, I mean, obviously James Correct. and others are in yeah, the Jerusalem. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yes. All right, Mike. Twelve. Who is one of your number, a bond slave of, Yeshua, of Yeshua HaMashiach, sending his greetings. Also laboring earnestly for you and his prayers, which are staying perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. Now the back, the middle of, uh, or beginning of 12, is exactly the same as the middle of 9. It's the same Greek. He's one of you. Same deal. And for actual reason, you know, the, what do you call it? Talents. Talents. That kind. Will I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Le Odyssey. Laodicea and Hierapolis. Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also the most. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and for you and for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in honor that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. Nice. I was once told that home churches are not biblical. <laughs> <laughs> and a simple search. Well, Paul, oh, yeah. this is just like this. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't want to be called Nympha. Personally, but uh, you know what? I, a church there. So. But you know what's amazing? Because there's some weird names. Oh yeah. And he gets some very Greek names too. That's being one of them. Some that are names of deities, like Apollos. Those people came to God, and they didn't change their name. I think they revel in the fact. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. Mm -hmm. And my name, even my name, shows you. Where I came from, and I think so, it, well, it's, a, it's a conversation starter. Absolutely, yeah, sure. Yeah, I know. Wait a second. You're not keeper, but your name is Nympha. Right. What's up with that? Right. Uh -huh. Well, Nympha probably wouldn't. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but, so, I, but I think that just speaks to the care. power yeah. of the <laughs> of the gospel. Yeah. Because I mean, these people, I would assume that their entire lives were Greek, like and and pagan Greek. Yeah, especially where they're from. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 going to get worse. Colossae, Laodicea were, you know, off the beaten track, more inland. Um, we're moving into Ephesus next and uh, oh, there's a San Francisco of the Asian world. Any other comments here? I asked in the uh, in the thing there, you know, I I was I mean, I don't know if it was a movie I saw or what, but I just always pictured Paul writing letters, papers on the floor, a little tiny desk, chained to some Roman soldier, 
and just I think I've actually seen that constant, yeah constantly mm-hmm. writing you know and, and it's it all you do is talk to the Roman soldier and they probably gotta you know rotate the Roman soldier out every now and then because they keep getting saved you know <laughs> but <laughs> I always think of him as being alone but it it sounds like he's like having a party it's, it's all group like a house arrest everybody's there you know and apparently, and apparently uh, he said he says at the very end, I Paul write this greeting with my own hand. Remember, my imprisonment, grace be with you. I Paul write this. Obviously, implying that somebody had been trying to forge letters from him. I don't think so. Like um, he had an amanuensis, is what is what it's called, uh, and that's led most theologians to believe that the thorn I got you, the thorn in his side was not. Uh, a hip injury that caused him to walk with a limp or one leg shorter than the other, which made him, you know, walk like a clown or something like that. Um, but rather was a pussy eyeball. He's dripping and pussy and really gross looking all the time and made it difficult for him to see. You see later in some of his, his letters, he'll say that he's writing in a really big handwriting. You know, you can tell I wrote this myself because it's so big and ugly. Um, but... Uh, I think, you know, that he's he's trying to just add a, a, a bit of authenticity, authenticity to to say, hey, I wrote this myself. This this is important stuff. And that other letter I sent to them, when 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 you're done with reading this one, go for that one and have them read this one. Yeah. Go. Nice. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, so you know how. This was the first time I'd seen this, but you know how a lot of times we'll say things like the that quote from Peter, where Paul's a little tricky to understand. <laughs> I, I thought this was really interesting in the very beginning of this chapter, where Paul requests prayer for his words to basically be clear when he's sharing the gospel. And I, I thought of what you just <laughs> said, which was, these seem like... They were. This is pretty off the beaten path. These people probably needed it to be in a more digestible form than perhaps he was used to. But I thought that was really it's kind of a That's funny good. thing. He says that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And I thought, man, yeah, even he recognizes yeah. his knowledge and he's, understanding he's, of the gospel might just so be on too high of a level, yeah. and he needs to be a lot more deliberate when he's attempting to write some things more universal like this. So let me jump in and, and grab onto something that you just said, which I don't think many of our listeners online might think of, and, and perhaps even some of us. You just said that Paul had a deeper understanding of the gospel than probably anybody else. And yet I think most of our listeners would think, well, wait a second, the, the gospel's in the apostolic scriptures, and they hadn't been written yet, so... How did he have an understanding of those, and how could it possibly be better than ours? What's the truth of the matter? He lived it out. Where's the gospel come from? The law. That's where Yeshua went. And what did this guy know? The Tanakh. Every every doctrine of of Yeshua comes from Paul's understanding of the Tanakh. Amen. That's exactly right. And the Midrash. Yeah, he was pulling he's, in Jewish yeah. traditions. Oh, well. and, he, and there's techniques. the good news. The good news has always been there. But it was hidden. It was a mystery. It hadn't mm. been revealed fully that people could understand it. So we've got visions that Paul's had, now his writings, and son of a gun, the mystery's been revealed. That you too can draw near to God without having to go through some ritual experience.
experience made by men or described by God. Just faith. Faith plus nothing. Um, and to your point earlier, saying that Paul's a little too hard to understand, it actually reminds me of this uh, recently in the um, parasha, uh, Yishai Fleischer was talking about Moses, and he says he's, he's heavy of speech. And it was as Yishai Rabbi Mike were saying, like their view of that was actually not that he had a speech impediment. It was Yishai and he didn't have a speech impediment, but that he was actually just talk too deep. He, he was too. He was more or less was too intense. He was yeah. like too real. Like he, was he just too, too much on he the just, side of truth. Yeah, he, like he just Blunt. couldn't. He couldn't. Um, he couldn't temper anything he was saying. So people had trouble listening to him because he was just too straightforward. Yeah. And and thinking about Paul, it kind of almost seems like the same way, but in, in like in more of an intellectual sense, it was like. He, he's like he kind of got in the way of himself sometimes simply because of his personality that he was such a deep thinker and so yeah. mystical and so wise that people had trouble following him um, which is definitely true reading then, some of his then letters then even worse when he writes it down and you can't even get the inflections guys. right but, the, uh, but, but at the same time that's so not unusual I mean you've got so many there are some Jewish writers that are just like so easy and down to earth you know you got the Chofas Chaim and it's like you could have never read anything in Judaism ever before, and by the time it's over, you would generally know the rules of Lashon Hara. But then it's like, you pick up, like, you know, Rebbe Nachman, or, yeah, or Tanya, and it's like, you try to get through one of their, I don't know, one of Rebbe Nachman's commentaries, you start over here, and somehow you're talking about, like, you go through, like, the entire history of Judaism, and the entire mystical reality of the four different universes, and then we come, and we somebody that after we started again, you're like, oh... <laughs> think I figured out how we got here, but it's cool. Yeah. And like Paul, I remember one time. Yeah, your wife says, so what'd you read this morning? I don't <laughs> really know. Yeah, I remember one time. But it was good. It was so time, good. I remember one time Johnny led a class, I think it was Rabbi Nachman teaching here, and I mean, like I had actually listened to Rabbi Nachman's teaching before, and my head hurt by the time it was over. And that's basically where Paul is. Yeah. He's, he's not alone in that. No. But, uh, but, but so God can use that too. But it's funny that even Paul's having to be like, and pray that God helps me tone it down a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I just I thought that was good. Yeah. Cool. And we need it's to funny. remember that in his day, he's probably the only orthodox, rabbinically trained, feet of Gamaliel type guy. The, the people that he's met and seen in Asia, they would never have, have met a guy like that before. Mm. It's like the Baal Shem Tov walking around, you know, in, uh, in Europe there, you know, they'd never seen someone so happy about their faith <clears throat> when they're being persecuted. Yeah. Yeah. Other comments on this before we move on? I also, oh, yes. You had something, didn't you? Yeah. What did you have, sir? Well, it was about the greeting. I just thought that maybe it was dictated and then Paul wrote the greeting in his own hand. Well, that's possible. It it's possible. It's it's possible that the entire book was uh, was written by his amanuensis, and then he wrote the, the the greeting at the end. That's possible. Yeah. It would be neat to look at the actual manuscripts. I don't think we even have the we don't have originals. <coughs> I think the oldest document of the apostolic scriptures is i think a passage from john and even it's like 100 something i mean i think the oldest one we have is after paul's dead oh yeah no no i i, I understand that i just thought we might have something there that could show that's good 
But I, I do think it's neat, going back to Josiah and Micah's point with, uh, this is Paul's own handwriting because other people were trying to get letters out using in a name, trying to have credibility with that letter. But yet you could look at Paul's letter and be like, okay, I've, that's his. And we know this happened before. Yeah. What happened? Acts 15. James James makes it clear. You guys got a letter, presuming that it came from us, but it didn't. Right. And it's got you all worked up. That's why we've got Barney and yeah. Paul here now. And we've talked about it. So we're going to have four things for you to do. Always barbecue on Tuesdays. Never have fish on Friday. You know, and the whole deal. <laughs> it's the end, Catherine. That's right. <laughs> uh, just the other thing was, verse 6 was, um, recently I was talking with my wife's cousin, Joel, uh, who brought up a really good point that I never thought of before. We were just chatting about life and whatnot, and he was saying, you know, I, I'm working on being the same man everywhere. At work, at family, at church. At, and and I was, I've never really heard it put that way, but I started thinking a lot about that, and I, I, it reminded me when Paul started saying, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And that, that always is really key because there's times when it's much, much easier than others. Oh, yeah. You know? Like and, when you're in front of your boss. Right. When you're in front of a superior versus in front of your kids. Yep. Or versus in front of, you know, other people that you might become very comfortable with that you feel you can be more coarse with or something like that. So it's just a helpful reminder that uh, it's this it's this be the same all the time, you know, mentality, which I think is cool. Two things come to mind. One, uh, when my son was 12, that's why I started bringing him to work. So he would see that I was the same man, and I would be held accountable to be the same man at the breakfast table that I was in front of the business owner. The second thing that comes to mind is the Midrash about why the Ark of the Covenant was gold on the inside and the outside as a reminder to us that we should be the same inside and out, every man. Yeah, and it reminds you of James too, you know, that salt water and fresh water can't come out of the same place, mm -hmm. that our, our tongue man. needs to yep. be the same as well. Amen. All right, I know you want to talk about the last chapter of Colossians a little bit more, but we're not going to. So move on to uh, Philemon. Philemon. 25 verses, and I think we'll see a couple of names here that... Uh, I may have read through this too fast, but it, I did finish it thinking, why is this in the Bible? Yeah, why is this in the Bible? Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, That's good. I have a That's question, good question because I, I, I do think I understand some of why it's there, but I'm a little confused because it... Which it is. And I don't normally say this. It feels a little bit like this letter is a violation of Torah. Let's read the uh, letter for those that are uh, online in some Slobovian country with no access to the Word of God. Let's read it quickly. <laughs> Here I am, 25 verses. Paul, a prisoner of Messiah Yeshua and Timothy. That's the first time Timmy's coming up here at the beginning of the letter, our brother. To uh, Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia. Our sister and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the and the assembly in your house, another house Home church. So clearly, we're talking about people yeah. who live in 
philosophy. That's right. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord, Yeshua the Messiah. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord, Yeshua, and for all of the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of the Mashiach. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. What a glowing recommendation. Gee, where's a guy who can get a job in? Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Messiah to command you to do what is required. Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Messiah Yeshua, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. That's the third person that was at the back end of Colossians. Whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending it back to you. I'm sorry? Just real quick, the inside joke there. Onesimus, I believe, means useful. Yeah. (laughs) That's good. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while. Oh, no, no, I beg pardon. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. Hmm, read that somewhere. I'll repay it. Just nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Messiah. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Paphras, yet another guy that was standing there the last time he wrote, my fellow prisoner in Messiah Yeshua sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Damas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord, Yeshua the Messiah, be with your spirit. So why is this in the Bible? I no idea. Okay. I think it's an excellent example of how to exhort Good. someone. And encourage them to do the right thing. I don't use the word exhort. It's like it's a little bit more strong than just like a, like a suggestion. Yes. But at the same time, it's humble enough to not, that not be an order. Yeah, and it's also an encouragement, which is close but different. Right. I think it's an encouraging is. letter, but it definitely had some strong exhortation in there. And I love but, like the hints he leaves. He's like, and I'm sure you're going to do even more than I ask. By the way, here's a guest room for me so I can come, in parentheses, and see how you did. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that, that would make sense if it was maybe more universally applied, but yeah. it seems so specific yeah. to, like, a person, as yes. opposed to, like, a bunch of people, you know? I guess that's why I was, I was so taken back by it, is it's like, it's, the, the other letters 
it's like meant to be read to everybody because it applies to everybody who's hearing, as opposed to like, we're talking, I mean, like literally the book is the name of like a singular person, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So like mm -hmm. the whole thing is so personal. Mm -hmm. That's why I was just, I, it seems very interesting. As it reminds me of Obadiah. So, like the book of Obadiah is a very specific book talking about the destruction of Edom, which depending on your view of prophecy may or may not have already happened. But it, so, but it still has a more broad appearance. Of course yeah, it does. This, well, this way more broad. So I, I've, got, I've got a thought there. Um, so who do you think it was written for? By Lehman? Onesimus? You think it was written for Onesimus? Yeah. For his, his return for his debt to be freed. How do you think the letter got to Philemon? Probably him. He come back, hands him the letter? Could so, be. Could be. Possibly. I am sending you him. Okay, could be. Who do you think he wrote it for? When's the last time you read Philemon? Right? I actually looked over him and I said, I don't recall this actually being a book of Bible. Did, so. <laughs> he doesn't think it should be in the Bible. No, you didn't think it was. I didn't say that. I don't know. I just... Right? Was, I, so, so, I you really, I, so you I, just I heard... I thought you made this up. You, I yeah. don't recall <laughs> so, you, so you just heard... Who do you think it was for? Do you think I it was think for the guy? Very, like, to a singular person. It seems to be so... Yeah. It's not to a church. It's not to a body of people. It's... What do you think? I think it was... Uh, I can't hear you. I think it was for Philemon. 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 Or Philemon. Philemon. In the Greek. Philemon. Yeah. So you think it was for Philemon? Yeah. Okay. If it was for Philemon, he could have just thrown it in the mail, and we never would have been reading it tonight. I could argue. Say it again. If, if, it, if it was strictly for Philemon. Yes. It didn't need to be part of the canon. We wouldn't need to be reading it tonight. Right. So, so God in his infinite wisdom provided it for us. There's more there. And I, I, I'm, I want us to not overlook. But I don't think it was for Philemon. Oh, no. But you just had your chance. You're going to have to wait till the end now, brother. Go ahead, Josh. Maybe Philemon is an important person, an elder. And... He is sending it by way of Philemon, so he will spread the word that Paul might be coming into Paris. That's very clever. That's very clever. I like that. Yeah, we've got a camping trip coming up, and I want you to know that we need to get the bunks ready because Paul might show up. Oh, boy, that would be something. Pussy eye. Put him in the corner. It's actually a Gentile, but... Yeah. I think it's addressed to both So you think it's for both? So they get along, happy family, be a testimony to the rest of the folks. Scott, what do you think? Just to the church. The assembly that was meeting at their house. Okay. Um, it'd be virtually impossible for it not to be read to them. Well, he addressed it to them. I just want to throw out there that this is literally uh, not the only, but pretty much the only, well, yeah, the only, I'm going to say, the only. Halakha given to slave owners in the entire apostolic scriptures. That doesn't appear. Well, back in Colossians. Yeah, back in Colossians. No, no, no. We get like ref we get these generic, like almost like ethical statements, like, you know, treat your slaves nicely, basically. Well, this is the No, this, no, this goes beyond that. This goes significantly beyond that. This is parts of this are straight out of the Torah. Other parts of this seem to almost contradict the Torah, and I have your I want to get your thoughts on it. But when he says, when he when Onesimus comes to you Make sure you take care of him. 
that is straight out of the idea that when you set a slave free, you're supposed to give them stuff. You're supposed to give them the ability to start their own life so that they don't, they're not, they're not immediately going back to slavery again. I think everybody pretty much agrees that he was not set free. He actually left. Well, see, no, that, that goes to my other question because Deuteronomy chapter 23 asks the question or says that you shall not give up to a master a slave who's escaped. Ye shall dwell with you in your midst, in the place that ye shall choose within your towns, whatever it suits him, you shall not wrong him. Right. So the question I have here is, why did Paul send him back? Well, he didn't send him back under guard. He didn't do what Deuteronomy's talking about there. He convinced him that the best representation of his faith walk mm -hmm. would be to put himself in back. submission back under his physical authority to demonstrate that he was under a greater spiritual authority. And now he's writing to the guy's master to say, I'm sending him to you, and believe it or not, he's actually going. He's going to show up. So I want you to treat him like you would treat me, and blah, 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 which is certainly consistent with the Torah. I think this was written for the two of them for sure, but I think it was written primarily for every one of the names that you read here that was also read at the back end of Colossians 4. I ask you in the study guide, when do you think he wrote this? couple of weeks, couple of months after he wrote the letter to Colossians? I think at the same time. I think he did it right after he finished. He used the same phrasing. He mentions the same people. I think he wrote this and says, you know, how are we going to get this letter to Colossae? Onesimus. You're from Colossae, right? Yeah. yeah. Onesimus. Yeah. You know what? You probably should put yourself back under your master's authority. I know. I know. But he's a believer now, and so are you. And guys, this is really how it should work. And he writes a letter, probably dictates it, closes the bottom out by his, with his own hand. But I think it was written primarily to teach the guys that were there with him then. And then, as Scott said, would be impactful as these guys learn it and live it. And then it gets Colossae. And it happens. And I think that's why it's in the Bible. And I think it's consistent if you put some hedges around his interaction with these guys. It seems to me, if I understand the letter correctly, I could be, I think you read this differently, but it almost comes across to me that Paul is encouraging Philemon to um, free Onesimus. I, I think it could be... He says um, not to treat him as a bondservant anymore, but yeah. as a fellow brother. Well... But he needs to do that. That's the whole. That's the teaching point, right? Mm -hmm. Is that he's your slave, but he's also a brother in Christ. So it's. I mean, you're going to see this, God willing and by His grace, when my grandson is 15, 16 years old, and he's starting to push those boundaries with you. But he's also claimed faith in Messiah Yeshua. Well, now he's your son. He's your subordinate. He's also your brother. Trust me, it's a weird deal. Well, the only reason why I bring up this one is because the Deuteronomy 23 passage implies that when a servant escapes, they get they basically earn their freedom by doing that. By running away. By running away. Um, and so it almost feels like what Paul is saying, the reason why I, this is my personal interpretation based off of some other traditions around this, this book, that Paul is asking Philemon to free him, and he says, do what you ought to do, and I think the reason for that is he's basing it off of the Torah I, and this passage. I can't, because 
modern Christianity would say that this is somehow some sort of anti-slavery book, yeah. and that slavery is evil, and that's why Nestle should be free. Because, sure but I don't think that's what they're going at all. I, I do think he's encouraging him to free him, but I think what doing is giving, he's encouraging Philemon to give Nestle an opportunity to do something even better. <coughs> I think he wants him to offer, I see it, I think he wants him to offer him his freedom so that Onesimus will turn right around, the guy who ran away will turn right around and say, no, you've, you're, I've earned my freedom, you're giving me my freedom, I'd like to stay with you, I'd like to become a bond servant. Okay. The whole bond servant concept mm -hmm. is just Paul's favorite deal there. And that... Such a phrase he's used in this passage. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he could... That this owner could give him the opportunity, whether legitimate or not, having run away or whatever, would, would have given him that opportunity. And that Onesimus would step to the plate and actually do it. That's a testimony. And you know what? That's kind of Abraham and who's the guy from Damascus? Eliezer. That's the kind of Abraham and Eliezer relationship, I think, that Paul's looking for these guys to end up. Or, with. or similarly, you could even use Sarah and Hagar. Hagar leaves. The angel says, "Go back." Go back. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, yes, sir. Um, on that whole being uh, representation of what you're supposed to do, I think that. Paul's uh, really trying to say that here's my message to you with what I'm really trying to say to you, my message. It's a physical message, a note, to uh, Philemon. Philemon, and he's trying to tell Philemon, well, you know, he's coming back to you as a freed man treat him like a free man. But also, he's a brother. So, yeah. Yeah. don't overwork him like you would if he were a slave. Don't, don't uh, treat him like as if he were still a slave coming back to you as I get you. Yeah. I would make the point that any man in God who believes in God will not overwork a slave, but treat his slave kindly. As family members. Absolutely. Wasn't that the whole point of the bond servant? The the, the relationship he loves his changed. Master. Right. I, I love my master so much I don't want to leave. I'm not going anywhere. And I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to become your bond servant. And that demonstration of devotion changes the whole relationship. It does. Yeah. And it becomes and like, a, like a, uh, a cherished son. Right. And I think that's the, the, the illustration of that relationship is what Paul's um, ultimate goal was yeah. to, to see so that the people around could see it lived out. Exactly. exactly right. And it, it is interesting because the application of the bond servant principle as well as not overworking your slave is in the Torah only applied to the people of Israel. People of Israel, Israelite slaves, Ooh. they had different rules yeah, they for Gentile slaves. Yeah. Paul here is treating these Gentiles the same because they're part of the body. Nice. That's an interesting application. 
those principles really that you got to come here. Yes. Well, well was, do you know why the book's in here I now? was going to say, for those of us in Gastonia, <laughs> I, uh, I feel like, are, are you guys talking about something, maybe like some additional background here? Like the fact that, are, are you literally basing this like slave-master relationship just on the fact that he uses that word in verse 16? Or, would, or did I miss like some backstory here? Well, there is a lot of church tradition. There's a lot of understanding, and I, I don't want to just call it church tradition, but there's there's a lot of understanding um, from extra biblical writings. Okay. Because I, I think Isaac yeah. and I, not knowing this was a book of the Bible, didn't realize. <laughs> I feel so much better. Yeah. Yeah. That there was like yeah. all this backstory because I, I literally would have never said this guy was the slave. Yeah. Of most, the, yeah. Most theologians believe that Onesimus was. Philemon's slave, and oh. that he either escaped or ran away. Ran away is the phrase I've always heard, and bumped into, wouldn't you know it, the Apostle Paul. Gets saved, and Paul's like. Which is why he calls him my son. Yeah. You, you know, I've led you to, to the Lord, but you know, I want you to know that your walk in Messiah is going to start when you repair the bridges you burned on your way out. You need to go back to your master, and you need to ask for his forgiveness for running away, because you were his property. And you need to make that right. And this guy was willing to do that. So Paul pens this letter to Philemon, mm-hmm. who also has gotten saved now, and is not just, but obviously he's met Paul as well. And now it's like, okay, we're coming full circle here. Why did that slave want to leave? He's coming back now, but he's coming back to a different master, right? So let's live out this faith walk we've been talking about. You do right, he's coming back, which means he's doing right. Do what's right. And, and, and he kind of leaves it open-ended, as, as uh, Joshua's pointed out, to not actually say, well, what is the right thing? Is the right thing to treat him like a brother? Absolutely. Is the right thing to offer him his freedom? Perhaps. Is the right thing to treat him right, to treat him like a brother in Messiah, without without that. That's a good book. I'm glad they put that in there. <laughs> you know, 17, 18 verses. It's 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 is, it's pretty spanky once you you know put some 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 well, stuff that, on it and they, and they feel feed like it together. Almost essential to know. As I said, it's it is not clear. I mean, because that's the same word that Paul uses over and over again oh, yeah. about himself. Oh, yeah. I'm a bondservant of the Lord Jesus. Right. Yeshua. You know, so it's like. But, but a bondservant, when you've got, when you're talking to a slave owner, which hasn't been mentioned. Well, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, it's really helpful to get the backstory. I, I, I was relying very heavily on the extra biblical text okay, of absolutely. the Focus on the Family Adventures and Odyssey episode. In which they narrate this entire story. <laughs> okay. So I did actually have the background that they, of course, are pulling from. Right. And, they're, and, and they're, some of the things, you know, I'm, I appeal to you for my child, Anissus. Um, formerly, he was useless to you. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. So I'm sending him back to you. So we know that he was there. And that, that, that's what really threw me off because he wasn't actually his child. So he's already well, showing us that he's using these. Well, he's, Terms that are like father in the faith. More, more of a, yeah, them, exactly. He's used them before. So then he's going to use it for Timothy bond as well. And it's hard to go. Well, he's speaking literally here, not spiritually. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. that's what's throwing me off. 
I, I think he is speaking literally as well as spiritually. That's okay. the point. All right, gotcha. Right? Only spiritually when he's saying that he's his child. But Correct. But he does right. say, I think it's important to say, verse 15 and 16, it says, um, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, exactly. but more than a bondservant. Exactly. So bondservant is not treated as a positive term in that phrase, yeah. in that sentence, like it's always otherwise treated by I mean, Paul. The, the, the backstory was not made out of whole cloth. It, it's not church. That's why I don't, I don't like the, the phrase tradition. It, it's, it's based on the phrases that are used here. It's church midrash, you can yeah, say. Yeah, it's exactly right. You know, and So that there is some evidence within the text here. That they had a relationship, they were together. He's obviously not there now. He was a bond servant. Now he's not. You know, you know that kind of thing. So, it, it it's uh, if we take it from this perspective, I do think it 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 brings a lot of rich richness to us learning our walk. Absolutely. One more from you. Well, so then in that light, got you, I got very curious about if this is okay so help me out here because if we're supposed to be reading this in that light and comparing it to the way that scripture describes things i don't remember reading that it's okay to like take like charge things to your account like that that's sometimes the, the way that it's the, the way that you become a bond servant is that you owe something and so someone else can't come in and just that's the whole idea of the redeemer the redeemer comes in to pay the debt now, granted, the Redeemer is normally a family member, but I think this is just, to me, this reminds me so much of Yeshua's story, the Good Samaritan, right? So he comes and saves the guy. He's all beat up, drops him off at the place to whatever take else care of at the inn. And he's like, whatever he needs, I'll pay for it. Charge it to my account. Well, that, that, I feel like that's a lot different, though, than a person who has done something to somebody in the negative, and then someone else fixes it for them. That's but, different. Well, that may be not necessarily the case here because, of ne like, well, because he says, first off, we're talking about Greek slavery, he, which is wait, probably wait, very if different. If he has wronged you, you know what I mean? Like, the language is. I, I think he's trying to be gracious. And I don't think it's as much you're not allowed to do that as you're just surprised that he would do that. Well, but he's a slave, so he's already in a different category here. And so if he owes something or has wronged, you know what I'm saying? Like, He's, he's not, this isn't just like brother to brother. Like, this is a, I, I'm, a I'm missing something here. So, are you saying that if you... Is that allowed, according to Torah, for Paul to be like, oh, well, instead of what I thought was the slave needing to work out whatever it was that he owed, because yeah. like I was saying, sometimes that's why they become slaves. Yes. They couldn't pay something. Right. You know, but is kinsman, that okay for someone to We already know a kinsman redeemer can come along and pay back, pay and redeem back everything that's been lost through debt or whatever. Most of the time, uh, from uh, 12 to 1400, Jews were being kidnapped all over the place. And communities were raising funds to buy them back and redeem them from the kidnappers. So I don't, I don't see it's a problem. Okay. Okay. You know, I, don't, I just don't, I don't see it there. I understand your question, but I don't think it's... I think your sons are ahead of you, but if it's this coming, go. It is this coming. Go ahead. I'm not sure that it relates to the origin of the slavery. Okay. But it may very well relate to, in connection with the fact that you know, he did run away, he did escape, or he did leave somehow. And Paul's saying that if in that process he wronged you or he stole something from you when he left or Later. something like that, I'll take, I'll I'll take, take care, care of that. that. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna step up and take care of that for him. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I think so. is cool. I think your brother was first. Okay, so I'm wondering if this letter of Layman maybe not um, focused just on that, but God's way of focusing a teaching towards the future. Because I'm just thinking if people who um, owned slaves during like the Revolutionary War read this because many slaves believed in God. If they treated them as fellow brothers in God, things would have been a whole lot better. Well, in the North, mm-hmm. many of them were. Southerners didn't want to give, give up. That's you know why we ended up with fighting each other and losing 600,000 of our own people. There were good Southerners. There were quite a bit of Northerners also who had slaves and in Jefferson, and there's, book there's no very clearly there's no question that Northerners had <laughs> slaves, but they were willing to give them up, and they definitely treated them better than the Southerners did. That's why the Northern, the Southern slaves, when freed, wanted to go to the North. Mm. We'll put a pin in this conversation for later. Yeah. You know, bottom line is, um, the Southerners in during the Civil War, the Southerners' perspective on slavery was decidedly different than the Northerners. Um, very least, I will agree that it was different from the book in Philemon, which would have helped. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think uh, I think faith in Messiah does make the whole slavery thing a little difficult with regard to harshness. Mm-hmm. Not not that you can't have slaves. In right. fact, I'm 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 willing to take on as many of you as you'd like as slaves. <laughs> um, but how you treat them? Yes. Sir. Final comments on Philemon. On the slave, uh, my, does yours say bond servant? It does. Well, mine is slave. So, it, so Paul could literally be. That's, that's in sixteen, right? Doulas. Yeah. Uh-huh. So Paul really could be meaning treat him as a bond servant, not a slave. Well, doulas is servant. Where we get the word now, doula, one who serves the uh, pregnant woman and so forth. Cool. Good. Good comments. Good. Uh, good. Good discussion. I think. You know, it's a worthwhile book, mm-hmm. um, and one could even take it uh, even more spiritually to say that um, should our faith walk with our Father not be more. Tuned by this. In, in Romans, Paul makes it clear that we were slaves to sin, and now we're slaves to righteousness. Mm-hmm. And you serve, without question, the one to whom you are a slave. But you're no longer slaves to sin; you're a slave to righteousness. So righteousness should be, you know, filling your life and so forth. And you know, so this whole slavery thing seems to work for me. Yeah. All right. What my opinion about? Chapter four before this class, because this morning when I was reading, I was like, I guess class will be about twenty minutes long. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll go on to something else, but there, it's always interesting in this class that out of a couple of sentences comes so much thought. It really, uh, praise God. Enjoy it. That's very encouraging.
Church Midrash. Yeah, right. Church Midrash. So, that's just not Honestly, like, I'm going to just shove this away for explaining the concept of Midrash and Judaism to somebody in Christianity. Nice. That, that, nice. This, is a very, this is a very good example of how some helping background on that book really sheds a lot more light good. than just good. the text itself. That's nice. Very true. Well, uh, my good friend Brock says he can't say that he ever understood Philemon quite like does tonight. Good stuff. So yes, praise thank God you for guys that. for helping. I was going to say when you never knew about the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact that you didn't know that one paper was in there is a biggie. You know? All right. So uh, we're going to just broach this in the next uh, five or so minutes. We've actually only been gone for an hour and ten. What? What? I have to go. All right, so we've been going an hour and ten. Give me, give me ten more minutes, and we'll still finish uh, on time here. Ephesians chapter one. Uh, I think we're going to blow through Ephesians fairly quickly. Um, yeah, it's this one yet. No, no, this is uh, this is this is new and quick. But the bottom line here is that uh, some of the best theology about where we are, in Messiah, who we are, what our relationship with God is. Who we were as Gentiles, as non-Jews, afar off, all that kind of stuff, is Ephesians chapter 2. Awesome and wonderful <coughs> stuff. Has almost no holotype. Ephesians chapter 1 is virtually the same way. So um, I'm going to see if I can't get uh, Scott to uh, give us a quick read, maybe uh, to 10. <coughs> Paul, an apostle of Messiah Yeshua by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus, and who are faithful in Messiah Yeshua. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Master Yeshua HaMashiach. Blessed be the God and Father of our Master Yeshua HaMashiach who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Mashiach. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he destined us to adoption as sons through Yeshua HaMashiach to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Messiah, things in the heavens and things on the earth. So there you go. In um, yeah, the in him thing is, is unbelievable. So that's in the study guide. We're not going to do it tonight, but I, I do want you to read through chapter one and you'll find, I think, six times, seven times. Uh, in him shows up. You can use your computer and search it. It's pretty cool. Um, but read um, all these things about being in him, in Messiah. We're in Messiah. That's a phrase that sounds weird to my American head. You know, that I'm in Messiah. Um, but let me rephrase it and try this when you get home. How about in the family? When I was a boy, my dad would pull my brothers and I aside from time to time, and he would have found our behavior at times to be lacking. 
and he would make it clear that while other kids may be able to do such and such, we were his sons. And that wasn't an option. Others may, but you may not. Being in the family was a big deal. Blood is thick in water, always family first. These kinds of phrases were a big part of my upbringing. And it appears Paul is saying to the assembly at Ephesus, it's a big deal now that you're in a new family. And a lot has happened by you being adopted into that family. Okay? And Jonathan, we close this up. 11, take it all the way to the end. Also in union with him. We in were union with him, that's cool. In union with him. We were given <clears throat> an inheritance. We who were picked in advance according to the purpose of one who affects everything in keeping with the decision of his will, so that we who earlier had put our hope in the Messiah would bring him praise, commensurate with his glory. Furthermore, you who have heard the message of the truth, the good news offering you deliverance, and put your trust in the Messiah, were sealed by him with the promised Ruach HaKodesh, who guarantees our inheritance until we come into possession of it, and thus bring him praise commensurate with his glory. You know, you got to really love a version that is commensurate. That's a great word, man. Yeah. Um, but I want you to hold on a second because, okay. you know, I've got a, a great um, mortgage guy sitting next to you. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what version you've got there, but I have the guarantee of our inheritance. That's what I have. Yes, indeed. That word, my friend, is down payment. <laughs> Go ahead. Guarantee or guarantor. There it is. For this reason, ever since I heard about your trust in the Lord Yeshua and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. In my prayers, I keep asking the God of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, the glorious Father, to give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will have full knowledge of him. I pray that you will give light to the eyes of your hearts so that you will understand the hope to which he has called you, what rich glories there are in the inheritance he has promised his people, and how surpassingly great is his power working in us who trust him. It worked with the same mighty strength he used, and worked in the Messiah to raise him from the dead and seat him at his right hand in heaven, far above every ruler, authority, power, dominion, or any other name that can be named either in the Olam Hazeh or in the Olam Haba. Also, he has put all things under his feet and made him head over everything for the Messianic community, which is his body, the full expression of him who fills all creation. What is that version? That this pretty, is uh, that was David pretty... Stern's complete Jewish Complete Bible. Jewish Bible. Yeah. You just got it in a nicer booklet. Well, this is just the New Testament. Yeah. Little handy-dandy. It's there in the light on. blue over there, yeah. yeah I've also on. got it printed out in a PDF. It takes 7 billion pages. But, uh, yeah, that was, it yeah that, was, that was pretty good. So, this, this week, as you go into the next lesson, which will be posted tomorrow morning, um, where we go into to chapter 2, um, take the time to go back here and see what it means to be in the family. Because 
<laughs> the power that raised him from the dead is what he's hoping is going to be used to give you the knowledge and revelation, a spirit of wisdom of what our glorious inheritance is like. Being saved means absolutely zip. Plus he was raised from the dead. Because the hope, the down payment, is that we will be raised from the dead. Mm-hmm. And we will live again. We will live on. It's a big deal. So... There it is. And then Ephesians 2, man, if you haven't memorized Ephesians 2, you're missing out. Questions, comments? Anything? Nothing. Everybody's tired. Okay. Memorize Ephesians 2 for next week. That's it. Okay. That'd be good. That's all. That's it. It's that. Green, Hebrew, what do you want this? <laughs> you were, English from you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It'll, it's a preacher. Man. It'll go. All right. So you feel like praying? Yes. Yeah, well, to. pray for us. Avino Okino, what a privilege it is to come together as men, to fellowship with each other, to grow in your word, and to grow in knowledge of Messiah Yeshua together. We pray, Father, that this week would you would bless the work of our hands as you have in the past, that you would help us to call the words that we've studied tonight in our memory as we apply them to our daily walks with our families and works and as we go about. Hashem Yeshua. Amen. Love you, Brock. Get a haircut.